Jonah chapter 1, and uh, we'll be reading just the first three verses of Jonah chapter 1. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let's eat the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. <clears throat> o gracious God in heaven, how we rejoice and give thanks to you for your word. We know that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray, Father, that your spirit would go forth with your word and that it would truly uh, find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil that would bring about to great and abundant fruit, all for your glory, honor, and praise. We pray now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, after the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and before He ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, He gave His disciples the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, uh, verse 19, we read this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, since the time Jesus gave this command, uh, the church has sought to fulfill it. And sometimes the church has been uh, very diligent at, at that, and other times perhaps not so diligent. But we see from, uh, from beginning the, the 120 disciples of Jesus who were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And then the church grew by the thousands and continued then to multiply in every generation as they sought to fulfill this great commission. And in our own day, the Great Commission has certainly made great progress, well, there's still much to be accomplished. As we faithfully strive to carry the gospel to people of every nation, tribe, and tongue until the Lord Jesus returns in power and glory on the last great day. Every church, and indeed every individual, individual believer in Christ, is called to take part in this great mission work. And we know some are specifically called to do it maybe in a, in a more formal way, like uh, missionaries and pastors and preachers. Whereas others are called to simply be faithful witnesses to those around them as they seek to carry out their daily lives. Well, the book of Jonah reminds us that this plan and purpose of our Lord 
actually didn't begin with the charge that Jesus gave to his disciples. Now certainly the disciples had a much fuller and and more complete account of, of God's revelation to mankind, especially his plan of salvation, because they were witnesses to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ who accomplished salvation once and for all for the people of God through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead on the third day. But way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Jonah, and even if you want to go back even further, you can all go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We see that it was God's plan and purpose all along to redeem lost sinners to Himself. And in so doing, it would be a rich blessing to all the nations of the earth. And we see this purpose in the book of Jonah, in our passage this morning, but not in what Jonah actually did, at least not initially, but actually we see it in what Jonah refused to do when God called him. Jonah is a disobedient prophet who refuses to carry out God's great commission. Now, in the Old Testament, we know a a prophet was one who was called by God to simply declare His Word to the people. And it was an office that wasn't given to everyone, but God was pleased to choose certain ones who would declare His Word. And we see this calling with Jonah here in verse 1 with this phrase, Now the Word of the Lord came to, and in this case it comes to Jonah. And we find this phrase at least 94 times in the Old Testament. And the receiver of God's word is someone appointed particularly to this office of a prophet. And with God's word coming to them, it really confirms this appointment. So Jonah is clearly a prophet. And it was a privilege and an honor really to be a prophet of the Lord. But it also carried with it a very heavy responsibility. God often raised up His prophets to speak in the most difficult and challenging of times and often to actually call out the sins of God's people as a way to draw them back to the Lord. And if someone claimed to be a prophet, and yet what they declared wasn't true, or if they were speaking Uh, of some future events and and those did not come true, or if they said something that was contrary to what had previously been revealed, or if they had uh, sought to uh, turn the people's hearts away from the one true living God, well, they were then declared to be a false prophet. In the Old Testament, the judgment against false prophets was was that they would be put to death. You think about it indeed, how many self-proclaimed prophets which seem to abound today, speaking nothing but a bunch of nonsense and leading people astray, how many of them would actually be maybe perhaps more hesitant to carry out, uh, to carry on if we uh, administered the same penalty for false prophets. And so we see that the calling and life of a prophet wasn't an easy one. 
Now we've considered before that this wasn't the first time that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Previously, uh, we looked at last time in, in 2 Kings 14 that, that Jonah was entrusted with a message of, of hope and encouragement that the Lord hadn't forsaken his people, and particularly the northern kingdom of Israel. Through Jonah's prophecy, the Lord uh, said that he would enable King Jeroboam II to reclaim the original borders of the kingdom from the time of Solomon that had been lost since the time of Solomon. The word of the Lord gave to Jonah, the word the Lord gave to Jonah at that time, we know it came about. And so Jonah was a, a true prophet. And Jeroboam was certainly successful in reclaiming those lands, at least for a time. And so it was no surprise then to Jonah that the word of the Lord would come to him again. He was a true prophet of God. And we can imagine even here that he would be ready and attentive to hear the word that the Lord would have him declare. What will it be? Would it be more comfort for God's people? Be warning them about their sin? Certainly Jonah would have been eager. But as we see in verse 2, Jonah is going to receive a very unusual assignment. The word of the Lord that comes to Jonah is this, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. Now, if we didn't know the rest of the story of Jonah, and again, we're all uh, perhaps very familiar with the story, we might think that this wasn't so unusual. In fact, it seems like the kind of prophetic word that was common during the time. For example, it was common for prophets to cry out against a city or a nation because of their sin as a warning to them that the judgment of God was coming and, and they better turn and repent of their sin. In fact, the, the prophet Jeremiah uh, in Jeremiah 1 verse 16 was told that he would have to cry out against Israel and Judah for their sins. The Lord says there, I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshiped the works of their own hands. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise. Same thing he says to Jonah, arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. And so we see here, crying out against a city or a nation because of their sin, that's nothing unusual. We also note here, with, uh, which is again similar with Jeremiah's call, is that it wasn't unusual for God to take notice of the sins of mankind that would then lead him, that is lead the Lord to take action. You see, Israel had rebelled against the Lord. And it turned to serve idols and false gods. Surely God took notice. And Jonah is told here that the sins of Nineveh have come up before the Lord. Actually, before his very face is, is would be the, the, the literal uh, rendering there. And so it wasn't unusual that God took notice of the sins of the nations as well as the sins of his own people. 
And he would send these prophets to declare his judgments against them. And we can think of Jeremiah and also the prophet Isaiah cried out at all, not just against Israel and Judah, but against Babylon. And many of the minor prophets also cry out uh, various kingdoms like Edom, Egypt, and yes, even Assyria. Now, think about this for a minute, though. This was a little bit of a challenging task. Because if you're called to declare uh, a judgment against another nation, well, why would those of another nation with other gods, why would they care what the God of Israel says? In fact, in oppressing God's people, they would often taunt, uh, as the psalmist records in Psalm 94, saying, Yet they say the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. And they would say this because they would abuse the people of God, and yet there seemed to be no recourse, no response from Israel's God. They had long forgotten, of course, what God had done to the Egyptians and what He had done for Israel during the conquest of the Promised Land. And so they, they would attack Israel, abuse them, enslave them, and yet it seems as Israel's God did nothing. And so it would cause them then to doubt the existence of Israel's God. So why are they going to be concerned when this prophet of, God, of the God of Israel is telling them, judgment is coming? <clears throat> but we know that our God is surely the one true living God. And that He takes notice of their insolence. And he's a God who is long-suffering, even toward the wicked. And at the moment that he prepared, he will bring them to account. And what his prophets have spoken will come about. Again, Jonah wasn't the only prophet that was given this kind of a mission to speak out against another nation. But, the key difference between Jonah's calling and, and other prophets, you see, these other prophets would make these declarations of judgment, even those judgments against other nations, they would make those judgments, but they would be within the confines of the borders of Israel and Judah. Right? They were in the, the safety of their homeland, so to speak. Their words were for the people of God. To warn the people of God, first regarding their own sins, but also to tell the people of God, to assure the people of God, that the Lord was going to comfort them because He has seen their sufferings at the hands of the nations, and He will bring them to justice. And so, again, uh, Isaiah and, and Jeremiah, when they're speaking against Babylon and, and, uh, and saying that God's going to bring judgment, that was for the comfort of the people of God. That God has seen their sin. He has seen the oppression of these enemies. And He will bring them to justice. And so the ministry of God's Word was for His own special people. 
At least that was what was commonly thought. You see, but Jonah's assignment is unusual and that Jonah is actually called to arise and go to Nineveh to cry out against their sins right in their midst. To go to the capital of of Israel's chief enemy and oppressor at the time and warn them that they should repent lest God brings His judgment upon them. In Israel, of course, God's word going forth from the Lord's prophets, even if it was a, a warning of judgment, was actually a gracious call. And when the prophets would, would rise up and cry out against Jerusalem and they cry out against the kings, it was a God's call to the people that they should repent and return to the Lord. And He would be most merciful if they would just humble themselves, turn away from their idolatry and their immorality, and return to the Lord. But you see, what would it mean now for the Word of God to go to a heathen nation, a heathen city, and to cry out against them, and to warn them of coming judgment? Are we to understand here, does God intend to have mercy on the heathen? Even on the great wicked city of Nineveh that had long been an oppressor of God's people, Israel? See, it's most unusual. But this was the calling that God placed upon Jonah. How would Jonah respond? One of the most surprising twists, again, if we, we could only read the story in the account of Jonah for the very first time, well, we already know what's going to happen. But we see in verse 3 that Jonah actually refuses to obey the Lord's command. And not only does he refuse, but he leaves everything behind and flees from the presence of the Lord. In verse 3, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now note these things about Jonah's actions here. First we see that three times we're told... In this verse, that Jonah wanted to flee to Tarshish. Now, I'm not necessarily the brightest person, but Tarshish isn't Nineveh. In fact, it's it's in the complete opposite direction. Now, we don't know exactly where the the location of Tarshish uh, is, but most scholars uh, contend that it was perhaps somewhere along the, the coast of Spain. So all the way on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, some 1,600 miles at least from the coast of Israel, was Tarshish. And Nineveh was 600 miles to the northeast of Israel. Now the mileage doesn't necessarily mean anything significant, but what we see here is that Jonah is trying to put as much space between him and the place where God wants him to be, where God has called him to be. The Lord says, go east to Nineveh. 
But Jonah flees west as far as he can go to Tarshish. Now this is direct rebellion against God's command, plain and simple. Secondly, we see the foolishness, though, of Jonah's action. As he's not merely running away from Nineveh, but you see, he's actually looking to escape the presence of the Lord, which again, for emphasis, is mentioned twice here. Imagine this. He's a prophet of the Lord. He's received the word of the Lord, but yet he wants to get away from the Lord. And so by this action, Jonah is not only rejecting his office and calling, but he is actually rejecting the very God who called him. And this is foolish. For how can you escape the infinite God who is everywhere present? We're reminded in the psalmist, uh, Psalm 139, which actually maybe prophetically even speaks of this incident of Jonah in some regard. And, and Jonah would have been very familiar with these words. Where can I flee from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Friends, we can't escape the presence of the Lord. And no matter how much we'd like to, especially when we are in sin and and the shame of our sin uh, falls upon us and we want to get as far away from God and His people and anything that reminds us of Him, we want to get as far away as we possibly can. And yet, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, there was no place to hide. There was no covering available for their sin. And Jonah knew this. Again, he would have known this psalm of David, and yet in his sin and rebellion, he foolishly tries to escape God's presence anyway. Talk about being stubborn. Well, this tells us something also of the downward spiral of sin that we set upon when we take it upon ourselves to rebel against the Lord, even as those redeemed in Christ. Remember, Jonah was a prophet, a true prophet. He was a true believer in the God of Israel. And yet he sinned and rebelled against God and further hardened his heart by making his fall into sin deeper and deeper. Indeed, we see this downward trend in the fact that God calls Jonah to arise and go. But instead, what does Jonah do? He went down to Joppa. And then he went down into the ship. The Lord says, arise and go. But Jonah goes down and he goes down and he goes down again. The language here is, is purposeful and it's instructive. takes, we go down, down, and down into our sin. And, and it not only does it take us away from the Lord's presence, but it takes us deeper into His judgment for that sin. And so we see here, Jonah's heart is, is hardening even more. 
Now we'll consider this a, a bit more next time, Lord willing. But really, Jonah reaches kind of the pinnacle of his rebellion against God when he's on the ship and, and the sailors inquire about where he's from. And, and Jonah confesses in verse 9, he says, I am a Hebrew, and listen to this, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Jonah goes from a prophet of God proclaiming his word and he has now made a 180 degree turn and he's exposed himself to be nothing more than a hypocrite. One who professes to know and fear the Lord and yet by his actions so shows no such knowledge or reverence. It's kind of like that, that practical atheist that we talked about when we studied the book of James, who, who, yes, says, I believe in God, and yet they live a life that looks nothing like godliness, a Christ-likeness. Jonah was good about talking the talk, even there on the ship, but he doesn't walk the walk. He was not revering and fearing the God of Israel. Now this becomes the great mystery of the book of Jonah. Why does Jonah rebel against God's command? Now, <clears throat> we're sort of held in suspense for, for a time as, because the stated reason isn't revealed until later. It's not until chapter 4, verse 2, where Jonah is praying to the Lord, and he says, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah knew God abounded in grace and mercy, and so he fled. That was his reason for rebellion. And it doesn't actually make sense. And it actually only makes his rebellion all the more astounding. But consider what Jonah is confessing here. First, he's confessing that he knew God. He knew the creator of heaven and earth to be the Lord God of Israel. That was the God whom he pressed. That's what he said to the, to the sailors on the ship. I fear the Lord who created heaven and the earth. And he not only did he know God, but he knew the very character of God, that God was a God who abounds in grace and mercy. In fact, as a prophet, Jonah knew that when God sends his prophets on a mission, again, it's often a call for repentance, a call that goes forth and has the ability to actually touch hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And bring about even the most dramatic changes in people's lives. Jonah knew that God is a God who abounds in grace and mercy. And yet he refused to obey the Lord's call. He also knew the truth of God's plan of salvation. Jonah knew the doctrine of salvation by God's grace alone. That is, that God saves undeserving sinners who are unable to save themselves. 
He knew this, of course, from, from Israel's own history. From their deliverance from Egypt. From the repeated cycle of, of rebellion, repentance, and salvation as we even read earlier from the book of Judges. And he even knew it firsthand in his own ministry. And the word of the Lord came to him in Israel and he prophesied that the Lord would enable Jeroboam to reclaim Israel's borders. You see, Jonah knew that the nation of Israel was undeserving. Because they had been in long rebellion against God. They had sought after the false gods and idols of the surrounding nations. They had committed sins of gross immorality, even sacrificing their own children to these false idol gods. Jonah knew that Jeroboam was just as a wicked as the, any of the Israelite kings that had come before him, beginning with Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had initially led the northern kingdom of Israel into idolatry. Israel was wicked and undeserving. And yet God blessed them anyway as a way to show His unfailing covenant love to them. He desired to call them to repentance so that they might return to Him. And Jonah knew these things. He knew the doctrine, but he knew very little of the grace that makes the doctrine effective. And so when you begin to peel back these layers, <clears throat> what you discover is that Jonah was simply filled with hatred toward the Ninevites. See, they were the oppressors. They were, the, they were notorious for their violence and cruelty toward the nations that they conquered. And they abounded in immorality as they worshipped their false goddess Ishtar, whose temple was there in Nineveh. Yes, certainly. Jonah knew that Israel had chased after the same harlotries and the same idolatry. But somehow, in Jonah's mind, Israel was deserving of God's grace. But you see, not those wicked Ninevites. They were most unworthy. Brothers and sisters, ultimately, for, for Jonah, for us, and, and really for any sinner, uh, the reason that we rebel again and sin against God, and again, sometimes even despite what we know to be true, yet we sin against God because of our pride. You see, we know better. We know who's worthy and, and who isn't. And we boldly deem ourselves worthy of God's grace because when we look around and we compare ourselves to other people, we see ourselves, we're so much better than everyone else. We haven't killed anybody. We haven't murdered. We haven't stolen. We haven't raped and pillaged. And so we're free then. We, we sense that we're free to, to abuse the grace of God and to continue in sin, even to the, the somewhat noble end that the grace of God might abound more and more. Friends, this is the, the delusion that we believe because of our pride. And not only this, not only do we deem ourselves worthy of God's grace, we also set ourselves as judge and jury over everyone else. Because we then determine who is and who isn't worthy. You see, our pride puffs us up so that 
our will may be done, not God's will. So we rebel <coughs> against His commands. And we think we can foolishly run away from the presence of the Lord and dive deeper and deeper into sin, pridefully thinking that when we have had our fill, well, we can simply return to Him and claim His mercy. Beloved of God, may it never be. But this is Jonah. And all too often, it's we ourselves. Proudly trampling upon the grace of God, even the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are the lessons that we learn then from Jonah's rebellion? Well, first the Lord includes the ministry of of His prophet Jonah in the Scriptures for a reason. Especially when we can consider, you know, the Spirit could have simply just left this book out as it sort of paints a a less than desirable desirable picture of, of God's prophet. But Jonah, the prophet, the man of God, first stands as a type or picture of God's people Israel even at that very time. You see, Israel was puffed with pride and arrogance even though they were in rebellion against God. And they, you see, they viewed themselves as God's chosen people and they looked down on everyone else, detesting even their existence. And this hatred wasn't just for their enemies, but really for anyone who wasn't of Israel. They were held in, in suspicion or in derision. And Jonah, of course, would have preferred to see the heathen Ninevites destroyed and erased off the face of the earth just like God had done to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah back in Genesis. Now it's true that for Israel, and including uh, the southern kingdom of Judah at the time, they were greatly privileged. To them, you see, belong the covenants and the promises of God. To them belong the blessings and the protection of the Lord. But you see, they failed to remember that all that was by the grace of God alone. Because you see, they were nothing. Even as God had reminded them in the wilderness, Deuteronomy 7, He says, The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The Israelites couldn't deliver themselves. God loved them and bestowed that love upon them and delivered them. They were unworthy. And yet God abounded in grace and mercy. Indeed, the promise that God had made to Abraham, their father, back in Genesis 12, is that they were to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. They were to be a light to the Gentiles, as the prophet Isaiah declares. They were to bear witness to the nations of the glory of God. But what did they do? Instead, they compromised themselves with the world. And they adopted its wicked ways. Their immorality, their idolatry, and the rebellion of the world. And so Jonah's call to minister God's word to the Ninevites was then really intended by God to provoke God's own people to jealousy, 
To bring them back to their covenant God. And again, this is what the Lord through Moses declared he would do. Back in Deuteronomy 32, they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. And Assyria at the time was this foolish nation. But instead of provoking God's own people, including his prophet Jonah, instead of provoking them to jealousy and and, uh, getting the message and returning to the Lord, they only further hardened their hearts. And ultimately they would suffer destruction at the hands of this same foolish nation. And in this, we see that Jonah was also then a type of the Jews in in Jesus' day and in the New Testament period. Again, they too were puffed up with pride as they rejected the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and and they put Him to death. Why did they put Jesus to death? Because they despised the message He proclaimed. They despised the fact that He ministered to tax collectors, sinners, the poor, and those who were unclean. They despised the fact that He even ministered to Gentiles. And their hearts continue to grow. To grow hard. Even as the apostles went forth, uh, carrying forth the great commission and the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. Again, recalling Deuteronomy 32. The apostle Paul reveals God's plan in all this. In Romans 11, Paul says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. And so Paul adopts the same uh, ministry of policy that God had. God said, I'm going to take the gospel to uh, the good news to other nations to provoke you to jealousy, to bring you back. To bring you to repentance. And and Paul says, I'm commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And I pray that it would provoke you to jealousy. That my own countrymen would humble themselves, repent, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And indeed we know some were saved. And Paul's ministry in that effect was was, um, successful. But we also know that many, the large part... Many continued to grow cold until, of course, the Lord brought them to to ruin by another foolish nation in 70 AD when Jerusalem and the temple itself was destroyed at the hands of the Romans. So, friends, Jonah is here also then to warn us, to warn the church today. Lest we fall into the same pride and arrogance. Lest we look down our, uh, on those who are outside whilst forgetting our own unworthiness. May we never take the grace of God for granted. And may we never withhold His gospel from those we think are unworthy. Lest we find ourselves to be the hypocrites who are left outside of the kingdom of heaven. On the last great day. See, but Jonah isn't just a type of Israel and the unfaithful church. He's also an antitype. That is, he's a picture of the complete opposite of something. And that something or someone 
is the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but Jesus is the word of the Lord come in the flesh. He'd come to seek and save the lost, undeserving sinners, be they Jew or Gentile. Jonah was given this most difficult calling, unusual during its time. But Jesus, the Son of God, was given the impossible task of saving His people from their sins by not only leaving behind His glory in heaven and coming in the likeness of sinful flesh, but by enduring the wrath and curse of God on the cross for undeserving sinners like you and me. Jonah refused to obey God's call. But Jesus obeyed the will of His Heavenly Father perfectly. And He obeyed all the while fully knowing the implications and the consequences, knowing of the pain and the suffering that He would endure, the, the, the shame and the humiliation, even to the point of death on the cross. He knew all this. And He obeyed the Heavenly Father's will. Because of His great love for us, who were His enemies. So Jonas, Jonah show, ultimately shows us how much we need a faithful prophet and Savior like Jesus. Truly, brothers and sisters, as you contemplate these things, remember that as those who are redeemed in Christ, your calling is to walk in the manner of Christ. Not in the manner of Jonah, but in the manner of Christ your Savior. And may the Spirit of the living God enable you to, to truly cast off all pride and hatred, empowering you to not just profess the truth, but to live it out and share it with those both near and far as the Lord gives opportunity. So that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue I call upon His name in faith, just as God had promised and purposed in Abraham back in the book of Genesis. And of course, knowing all the while that as we would seek to be faithful in proclaiming God's gospel, not everyone will receive it. But even those who harden their hearts and who persist, persist in the rebellion against God, we know that though they may not acknowledge Christ now in this life, they will submit themselves before Him on the last great day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. <clears throat> o gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for Your blessing. Upon your word, we thank you for this really a heavy reminder because we see ourselves often in Jonah. You give us a calling and we rebel. We run in the other direction. We fall into sin deeper and deeper. We even puff ourselves with pride. Looking down on others, we forsake your grace. And we even deny it to others. We pray that you would work these truths in our hearts. And that as your spirit applies these things to our hearts, that you would truly draw us all closer together to yourself. That we might truly humble ourselves before you. 
to walk in the manner of our Savior Jesus Christ. Who, all that was set before him, knowing all that was given for him to do, he humbled himself to the, to the Father's will and gave himself as at once for all perfect sacrifice for our sins. In this, the great love of God is demonstrated to us, toward us that when we were your enemies, Christ Jesus died for us. May we never, ever forget that glorious truth and how unworthy we are. And yet you love us. And you pour out your grace upon us that we don't deserve it. Father, we rejoice and give thanks for these challenging words. And we pray that we would be bold with the gospel, this great commission which you have given to your church. And that we would proclaim the truth to all those who would hear, all to the glory and honor and praise of your holy name. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.